Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. As always, my name is Joshua Iverson. I'm the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined again by John Bitzer, founder and editor. How's it going, John? It's been a little while. It's going okay, Josh. How are you? Pretty solid. It's uh, It's been an interesting week in baseball. Um, not Again, nothing really on the transaction front quite yet. That's probably something that'll be coming over the next two or three weeks as spring training draws to a close. Rosters are a little more finalized. But there has been some pretty significant news that, while not directly related to trades and maybe where we're uh, our area of expertise, um, they are still important and could potentially indirectly lead to trades. So first off, as far as our news goes, are some pretty significant injuries um, primarily in New York and Boston with Luis Severino of the Yankees undergoing Tommy John surgery uh, on Thursday. Chris Sale battling a flexor strain. And it's that's an interesting situation because it seems like he's been battling arm injuries for a while now. Mm-hmm. And everybody's always said about him, Oh, look at his body type. He's gonna he's not gonna last. And he's lasted to this point, but um that might be a little up in the air right now. As of now, no UCL damage, no new U, no new UCL damage. Um so it doesn't look like Tommy John is on the table right now, but that could change. And then Yeah. More recent news of Aaron Judge and a stress fracture in his ribs. So where do you want to start on those three? Well, let's start in order. So Chris right. Sale. You know, I think I probably share the same feeling as most uh, people do, and perhaps some Red, Fo- Red Sox fans as well. You hope for the best, but you kind of, at this point, expect the worst. And mm-hmm. I frankly was a little bit surprised that they did not for the Tommy John surgery, because it seems like it's a ticking Tom bomb situation. I'm not a doctor, obviously, but we've seen enough cases like this where there's something wrong with the elbow, and they try to string it along, and inevitably it leads to Tommy John surgery, so you might as well just get it over with. Mm-hmm. I... On the one hand there, I did see an interesting tweet this week. I believe it was from Chris Cotillo, a Red Sox beat reporter, um, basically saying that in his opinion, like, um, and of what he knows of the Red Sox, like, this seems like something that caught them by surprise. It seems like if they knew that it was this bad for sale, they probably don't trade David Price, regardless of necessarily how optimistic they are about contending in 2020 um it, it seems like this really caught them by surprise even though it's also an issue that's been lingering for a while yeah yeah well <clears throat> yeah it's a good point um you know their their rotation is looking very shaky because they, they already had an opening there yeah you know they've got basically one guy you can count on eduardo rodriguez who's who's pretty good mm-hmm. you know um and he he's may capable. be sitting on a good year um but you know he's typically like a number three starter on, on that team right um so now suddenly if sale goes out anytime he's really your only guy because you know, they've got nathan Avaldi who has had his own injury problems he's never quite mm-hmm. sure if he's going to stay healthy or not and you even know, if he is healthy the performance is far from certain there too he's had an yeah. up and down career and then you get, is, is he a reliever at this point? Is he yeah. a starter? I don't know. Um, and then you've got a whole bunch of nothing, frankly. So well, they said Martin Perez. But, yeah, they, uh, they are yeah. high on Martin Perez. He <clears throat> yeah, did and, some and interesting he, things the last two years. He did, and he showed some life in the first half of the Twins last year, and then he sort of faded away. But um, but but his 
his peripherals looked pretty good, and I think they're 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 looking at that and hoping for the best there. But in terms of trade valuation, I just want to make a general point that whenever we hear these these injury news, uh, we do factor those in. We do update the site. Now, we have to you know just sort of make our best guess in terms of the impact. You know, we look at what what's the most likely impact on playing time. What's the most likely impact on performance? And just do some some sort of you know 50 percentile calculations, and then and then plug those in and, and see how that affects the trade value. We have not yet done so with sale because frankly, it's still a little bit unclear, mm-hmm. but I think right now we have him at, um, you know, um, a, you know, small negative value around uh, minus 10, 9.8 to be exact, but I can easily see that maybe, you know, going a bit lower into the teens or 20 years, depending on the news, but we're going to monitor it because we don't want to presume anything just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's, that's kind of where that's at. I just want to make the general mm-hmm. point that when we do hear injury news, we do discount for that. Yeah. Does does that extension maybe maybe it's a little bit of hindsight being 2020, but at the time, did that extension seem a little off to you? It did, and um, you know, I wasn't su- I shouldn't say I wasn't surprised, but Dave Dombrowski was fired, you know, not long mm-hmm. after that, right? Cuz he made a bunch of decisions like that where they, you know, the ones that he for... usually does. Yes. That he is known for making. Yes. Now, on the one hand, in his defense, Sale is a great pitcher when mm-hmm. he's healthy. And his numbers are terrific. And even if you look at his war projections, there is still in the fours. Mm-hmm. So even if you discount for injury, you know, you're still looking at, you know, fairly high value guy but he's also getting paid enough that Mm. it kind of wipes out any surplus like that so and and to that point when he was signed to that contract as long as you don't look at his physical body you see no reason (laughs) to believe he'd get injured other than he's a pitcher yeah he throws hard yeah but he had virtually no injury history at that point yeah, but he's also now in his 30s. He's mm-hmm. nearing his age 31 season, and that's typically when you see declines happening, especially with pitchers, especially with pitchers who are as unorthodox as he is, spindly arms and legs. So mm-hmm. um, you can anticipate that. So from that standpoint, the contract looks like, you know, it was a mistake, but you can easily see some negative value there. Yeah, and that is something we will be getting into a little later on in the show. But for now... Um... That's that's the situation where I don't necessarily see the Red Sox making a trade uh, to fill that spot. First of all, there's uncertainty over is it just a couple week thing? Is he back in May? Uh, they don't know yet if he might be out the whole year. That's it's all very up in the air right now. Um, so I don't think, and given their competitive situation, I don't think that's a team that might go out and make a trade to fill that spot. On the other hand, there's the Yankees with Severino. And they got by last year without him. And, of course, they had the big signing, Garrett Cole, this offseason. But do you think they consider making a move there to fill his spot? It's a little bit more likely than the Red Sox. I mean, High and Bloom made it very clear, even before the Mookie Betts trade, that they were not trading prospects. Their, his mission is to rebuild that organization. So the last thing they want to do is trade. And they don't have many prospects to, to trade for, by the way. They still have kind of a weak farm. So so the Red Sox are not going to trade for any sort of meaningfully good pitcher. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll either look for somebody on the scrap heap who gets cut from another mm-hmm. roster or, you know, um, hope for the best, and you know, from their in-house options. But that's that's where they're stuck. The Yankees, to your point, are in a different situation because they are in a highly competitive team. They got by a lot last year with a whole bunch of replacement level 
you know, mostly position players, but but they surprised a lot of people. They had a ton of injuries, and yet they still won a lot of games with, mm-hmm. you know, who knows how, but with the Talkmans and the Mike Fords of the world. So um, can they do it with pitching? Yeah, I think they're more likely to make a move. Cashman is playing it very close to the vest right now. He's and it's not the trade season right now anyway. So, if anything, I think they're going to get by with you know Jordan Montgomery and Jonathan Loisaga and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. You know, and then um, yeah, but I can easily see them making a trade at the deadline. You know, depending on who's available, maybe a Robbie Ray, you know, becomes available if the Diamondbacks aren't in it. You know, some somebody who's a rental, you know, or close to a rental, I can easily see in their targets. Yeah, it seems like Ray's been on their radar for a few years now. Um, this seems like one of the stronger D-backs teams we've seen in a while, so maybe they're in contention and don't even consider making Ray available, so maybe that's an issue for the Yankees down the road. But their rotation without Severino, it drops off really fast. Yeah, I think that's an issue they'll have to address because you've got Cole, best, one of the best pitchers in baseball, either one or num- number one or number two. Mm-hmm. Tanaka, who he's all right. <laughs> he's a quality major league arm, but he's no ace. He's probably not a number two at this point either. He's got a home run issue, and in Yankee Stadium, that's not a good thing to have. Yeah. And then there's a big gap, and then you got Jay Happ, you got Jordan Montgomery, you got Jonathan Loisica. Uh, two of those three guys are completely unpro- un- unproven and have pretty lengthy injury histories in Montgomery and Loisaga. And then Hap was kind of a disaster for them last year. Those are just some really big question marks. Absolutely. They're the type of team that this is their year, this is their window. They probably want some more certainty, even in the back end of their rotation. And even if Paxton comes back in May or June, whenever he does, there's still no certainty that he'll be healthy because he's Mm -hmm. had a lengthy injury history himself. So, and even if he does and he is healthy, they still need another one, you know, and because they've got to, they've got to take this season very seriously. So, mm-hmm. so I, I definitely think they're going to be in a trade market maybe as early as June, because uh, they're going to need to. So they'll, they'll look at who's out there. You know, it, I find it somewhat funny that, um, you know, Matthew Boyd of the Tigers is an obvious target as well. And, you know, he's not, uh, he's not an ace. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a great strikeout rate. But, you know, we've had him, you know, at a reasonably high value on our site for a while now. We have him at 42 right now. And sometimes people say, ah, he's not that good. He seems overvalued. Well, you know what? You know, Al Avila has not pulled the trigger on it yet. Right. He's yeah. been holding out for a good return. And now he looks like a genius because, all you know, the Red Sox need pitching. Yankees need pitching. Somebody else is going to need pitching. And he's Everybody sitting, in the, will always he's sitting in the catbird seat like, yeah, yeah. come talk to me. <laughs> but you're going to have to pay. So yeah. he's got a supply and demand. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, a, a, you know, a, buyer's mar- a seller's market for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think what we're kind of seeing there in New York is a lot of Yankees fans kind of going into this offseason and throughout the offseason, they were stoked about this team. And it, it still is one of the strongest in the league. But they saw a team that just won 100 games with Mike Talkman and with the, yeah. the Fords and with the Gio Urshelas and all these nobodies coming up and making an impact. And they saw that team and they say, huh, what if we add Stanton to that? What if we add... Garrett Cole to that? What if we bring back Miguel Andujar to that? Like, they saw only improvements there. And there are many issues with that line of thinking. One is that 
there's no promises that those players will come back healthy, as we've seen with Stanton, as we're seeing now with Judge. And two is that Talkman and Urshela, they're probably due for some pretty hefty regression. You can't just yeah. pencil them in for the seasons they just had. Sure. And then there's uncertainty of other injuries that maybe you didn't see coming. So there's there's a lot of question marks still on that team, even if it probably is. It's definitely still the favorite in the AL East. I think the Rays just inched a little closer with this injury, injury news, yeah. but it's still probably the Yankees' division to lose. But they're not looking quite like the powerhouse that they could be. It might be another difficult season in New York as far as the injured list goes. Yeah, I really think the Rays are strong. They have no weaknesses. Now, they may not have a superstar. They may not have an Aaron Judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do have, you know, Morton and Snell and Glasnow is a very strong top three. If Snell can stay healthy, that's another question mark. Uh, and a few other good ones as well. That They're stacked bullpen, you know, no weaknesses in the field. I, I, I feel like they're, you know, they're the, they're the quintessential team full of two war players. Right, yeah. With, you know, as opposed to, you know, a star and scrubs kind of mix, you know. Mm-hmm. They're they're all good, you know, enough to, to have a winning team. So, you know, I and, and depth to boot as well, plus a, a great farm to draw from. So I think they're mm-hmm. going to be a very serious contender there this, this year. Yeah, the Yankees, to that note, they're built, the way the roster is built, just looking at it, they're built like a powerhouse. But because of the injuries, it's the last last season, and it's starting to look like it this year, is kind of turning into stars and scrubs. Mm-hmm. And last year that worked out because the scrubs performed like stars. <laughs> you can't count on that again this year, and especially when it's coming from the rotation and a lot of question marks there. And I don't know. It's hard to feel too good about the Yankees right now. They're still a fantastic team, probably going to win the division. Yep. It's hard to get too excited when the news just keeps stacking on like this. Yeah, with uh, Stanton continually being hurt. Mm-hmm. And now Judge has a fractured rib. You know, that's, uh, you know, they've got some problems there. So yeah. we have discounted Judge's um, evaluation a little bit because we know he's going to miss time. Uh, it doesn't seem like the kind of injury that would persist, though, assuming that because mm-hmm. fractures usually heal and then you're fine after that, if not slightly stronger. So. You know, it's not like a pitcher with a with an elbow injury, I think. So he'll be okay. I think he's just going to miss, you know, two months or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's – I don't – they probably don't make a move there, I'd guess, um, yeah. in the outfield. If they do, maybe something, a waiver claim or just a smaller deal at the end of spring to bring in some depth. Um, if anything, it's probably an opportunity for Andrew Hart and Frazier, who have been kind yes, of the, yeah. the also-rans who are always on our trade proposals. Everybody wants to trade those two guys. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they have a chance now to show what yeah. they can do for the Yankees. <clears throat> yeah, this is as good an opportunity as they're going to get. Yeah. So there's our news for this week. Oh, wait. Oh, I take that back. I missed one. There was a report that came out earlier this week about the Cubs and the Padres and Chris Bryant trade talks. Um, Kevin Asi of the San Diego Union-Tribune reporting that the two teams were discussing Bryant and the Cubs were targeting righty Donelson Lamette and catching prospect Luis Camposano. So what are your thoughts there? So I thought it was interesting that um, they didn't say both of those together in one package. They said they were interested in one and then they were interested in the other. And when I look at our valuations on our site, that makes total sense because we have Lamette in the mid to high 20s and Capusano in the low 30s, and we have Bryant mm-hmm. at around 38, 39. So um, 
you know, they would likely be a lead piece in a package with perhaps two, you know, another middling prospect or two uh, in addition to them. So I thought, well, that made perfect sense. Um, the Cubs need a, another good starter. They've got John Lester's getting old. Quintana's in his final year. So they need to kind of restock. I mean, they need a lot of help, actually, to restock in a lot of places. So the Padres are a natural sort of trading partner for them because they have so much young talent and such a good farm. So it makes a lot of sense from, from a strategic standpoint. From the Padres' standpoint, obviously, they've got Machado at third and Tatis in short, at short. So... Where are you going to put Bryant? You know, there's talk that he might have been put in left field, or you might have moved Machado back to short, put Tatis in center, because they have a little bit of a gap now in center. That seems a little weird and far-fetched to me. It's probably more likely, you know, if they were to trade for Bryant, he goes, he goes in left. But it's also kind of a, you know, we've talked in previous podcasts about AJ Preller and his sort of hot seat status, where he's got to win now. So. If he de- if he were to make a move like that, it would certainly benefit him to get at least Bryant's bat in, and they can figure out where to put him mm-hmm. in the field. Um, so so it would be consistent with their strategy to do that. Be consistent with the Cubs' strategy to, to kind of refresh, replenish the farm a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Lamette, I think, is a highly underrated pitcher. He's got some great stuff, you know, and he only came back from Tommy John recently, and I think he's said sitting on sort of an improved year. A little bit like, you know, it takes a little while to kind of ramp back up after Tommy John. You don't see immediate improvement. The first year back, you know, you're sort of kind of almost there, maybe 75% there. And then the second year back, you're usually totally good. You see this a lot with guys like Zach mm-hmm. Wheeler, you know, Lance Lynn went through that. So I think Lamette's probably in kind of the first full year back and he'll be good, but not great. And next year, maybe, you know, really good. So, so I think it would be a good investment from the Cubs perspective. Yeah, but even even in that first little stint back in 2019, struck out 13 batters per nine <laughs> over yeah. 14 starts. That's that's pretty elite for a starting pitcher. Yeah. Um, I we we have an ongoing dialogue between the two of us where if we see something that looks a little out of whack, we'll talk it over as far as the values go. Um, as we've mentioned before, it's not completely objective, and if somebody seems just way out of line, we can make some adjustments to make it more in line with uh, what makes sense. And one of those names that popped up while I was looking at things and just working through players was Denelson Lamette. And I brought him up to you. I said, hey, I think he seems a little high. Like, he hasn't really done a whole lot in the major leagues. And it's coming off a pretty significant injury. And you kind of opened my eyes to him. He's <laughs> he's a an impressive pitcher and I think a very underrated one, like you said. He has all of the talent in the world it looks like now he's he's got some more risk than similarly talented pitchers might but he's got some serious upside there and it makes sense for the cubs to have interest yeah and i should note that all the major projection systems seem to like him as well which is why his numbers mm-hmm. can you know and it could actually be higher as well um, as as he goes so yeah, is he gonna rounds back into form i think you might see that that number go up a little bit more <clears throat> the other piece they tar- targeted was uh, Luis Capasano, which is interesting because he's a catcher. Really um, talented prospect. I happened to catch him on one of the uh, MLB Network uh, 
games that they were playing. He's very impressive physical specimen, really good all around catching prospect, you know, has really shot up the charts in terms of prospect lists this past year. So, um, so we have him in the low thirties. Now it's interesting from a positional standpoint, if they were to get him, would that mean a Contreras trade? Maybe he's not ready yet for the majors, but maybe in a year or so he might be. So that's another thing they might be thinking about is a future Contreras replacement in him. Mm-hmm. And I can, it's, it's easy to see why this deal hasn't happened. Um, as you noted, it's a, it's not the cleanest fit for San Diego. And I personally am a little bit hesitant when it comes to, uh, when it comes to playing players, not necessarily out of position, out of position, but at a position they're not super familiar with. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical of Mike Moustakis at second base in Cincinnati. <laughs> that seems like another situation where they're just trying to force a bat in somewhere where it's not necessarily going to fit. And if that doesn't work out, you might be in trouble down the road. Um, so I don't, I don't love the fit in San Diego for Bryant. And as we've noted in the last couple episodes, every day that goes by that we get close to the season, it seems less likely that Bryant is moved. Um, if, if he were moved today for a package around, uh, including Camposano, that's weird mixed signals from the Cubs. They're kind of saying, all right, this is a real rebuild now because we're trading our superstar for a player that isn't going to contribute in 2020. But they're also hanging on to Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras, and there's just it's not the time of year for that yeah. kind of a teardown <clears throat> to happen. Yeah, um, It seems like... You know, they talked about it probably earlier in the offseason. Um, Cubs kind of held off, or maybe the Padres had some reservations with because they didn't know where their roster was at the moment. And it's, if anything, it's an interesting little look, and that kind of tells us, yeah, our values are probably on the right track because both Lamette and Campusano make sense as centerpieces of that deal by our numbers. And it's also an inter- interesting little look behind the curtain. Maybe it ends up being the framework for something down the road, but... For now, it's just yeah. it's just a rumor. I don't think it's an active discussion. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting from that standpoint. I totally agree. Yeah. So I think that'll actually do it for the news. And now let's head into our trade of the week. So as we've said before, to be included in the weekly trade of the week, just submit a trade on our site. And if we see it, if we like it, if the readers like it, then maybe you'll hear it on the podcast. So this week's... This week's I really like. It's from user Emil Empenza. All right. And it's between the Reds and the Rockies. And it's a big one, as most of them probably will be. It sends Trevor Story, Rymel Tapia, and Carlos Estevez to the Reds in exchange for Nick Senzel. And now the reason why I like this so much is that every time we've talked about how if the thumbs up and the thumbs down are about equal, it's probably a fair trade. Mm-hmm. And there are two comments under this trade. The first one saying that is a complete steal for the Reds. And the second one saying it will be a complete steal for the Rockies. Exactly. So I think that tells us <laughs> it's probably somewhere in the middle and it's pretty interesting. So, so what do you think? 
Exactly. It's funny that uh, the Rockies fan thinks, no way, you could get so much more for Story. And it's like, that wouldn't pay that much for Senzel. And then the Reds fan says, no way, this Senzel's worth so much more than that. So, you know, there's fan bias in both senses. So so the, the truth lies in the middle, as, as always. Um, but from a fit standpoint, you can see how Story would be a great fit in Cincinnati. That's with mm-hmm. all of the moves they made in the offseason, the one position they did not upgrade, which everyone thought they might is shortstop because they've got you know they've got a you know rental and freddie galvis who can hold down the floor but he's no superstar not mm-hmm. much of a bat so they if they really wanted to go for it they could say okay let's let's get a superstar shortstop and, and story would certainly fit, fit that bill meanwhile you know senzel is a man without a position because they signed all these outfielders and you know is he playing third is he playing second no they've got mustakas at second they've got you know where are they going to put him so so and yet they highly value him so it's a perfect sort of mix from a strategic point of view which is why i thought it was good as well um now i can see the the rockies i'm sorry the the um yeah the rockies fans point of view because if you look at it from a quantity perspective it's very unusual to trade a superstar and two other players for a prospect that almost never happens so from a quantity Mm -hmm. three for one standpoint it's usually up usually three prospects for a superstar so that's probably what's what's driving some of the bias there as well but from a from a value standpoint i think it's it's pretty pretty close to being dead even so i I think it works that way Mm -hmm. i think story is a perfect fit in cincinnati we were talking about moustakas a second ago He's probably not going to be the rangiest second baseman. Story's an elite shortstop defensively. He can cover some of that ground that Moustakis might not be able to, especially in a shift. Um, There is one thing I want to note with Senzel, and maybe it's just some of my own skepticism of him, but there's a chance, it's, it's probably not a high chance, but there's a chance that we're a little into Luis Urias territory with him, where maybe the prospect valuations are a little outdated now. He's he's still an elite talent. He's still a big talent. But maybe the shine has fallen off a little bit. He's dealt with a lot of injuries. He hasn't really performed at the big league level yet. Um, so maybe that's the kind of thing where he is traded and we go, huh, that's weird. Why is he traded for – why is – he traded for a package that equals 40 million in value instead of the 62 that we have him at now. And then reports flood in saying that prospect evaluators were a little soured on him. So I I do have a bit of that concern with him. I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, But from a roster construction perspective, it makes a lot of sense for the Rockies. They aren't okay. They're, they're internal, whatever projection systems that seem to have them at 94 wins. I don't think that's (laughs) it. (laughs) I'm, I'm not seeing that at all, not even close. <laughs> I'm seeing that as their 90th percentile. But realistically, they should be looking at some sort of a retool. This is an organization that finished near the bottom of the National League last season and has one top 100 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. It's, it's not a good situation there. They need to get younger. They need to get more years of team control, and Sinzel is a good way to do that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that's a very valid concern about Sincel's valuation. I had the same concern as well. Mm-hmm. What sort of struck me as validating was the fact that all of the projection systems still rate him very highly. And when you project those mm-hmm. out, it's the numbers still still look good. And and, and uh, the second sort of validating point was the fact that, you know, there were there were rumors over the offseason that the Reds had offers for him, lots of interest in him, and they didn't trade him, mm-hmm. which says 
a lot of other teams valued him highly and the Reds valued him highly. So I felt like reading between the lines there was important. Now I could totally be wrong and you may be right. Uh, we might be a little high. Um, it's really difficult to know these things. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it gets into subjective territory. So when in situations like this, I try to be as objective as possible. Yeah. So that's where we knit up. Th- this is probably along the same lines of the discussion we could have had about Urias mm-hmm. when he was there. And we would have come to the same conclusion of, you never know. Yeah. And it could have gone either way with him too. There could have been, the, the reports really didn't come out on him until after the trade. And so it's, it's kind of a wait and see. Like we have all of the numbers at our disposal. They all point to this value for Senzel based on his projections, based on his prospect type. And that's the number. And we're just gonna have to leave it there until we hear otherwise. Exactly. All right, so once again, if you would like to be included in this segment, just submit a trade. And if we like it, maybe you'll be featured. All right, so now let's head into the feature topic of the episode, and that is extension season. Why don't you, t- <laughs> why don't you take this one away? So the big news of the week was uh, Christian Yelich just signed a massive extension, massive in terms of years, maybe not massive in terms of money. Uh, he's getting a total of $215 million over the next nine years. Um, it was a seven years extension on top of the two years he was already uh, guaranteed. Um, so that adds up to about 215 total. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting about this to me is, uh, I believe it's a win-win. I think a lot of these extensions are in fact beneficial to both the team and the player. Um, and let me go into reasons why I think that is. Um, usually the, from a team's perspective, when you have an extension, you're not paying retail, you're paying wholesale. Essentially you're getting a bit of a discount, uh, because they're already sort of in the fold. Um, and they're, what they're trying to do is extend that. Now, <clears throat> but there's always kind of, you give a little to get a little kind of situation going on mm-hmm. on both sides. Um, looking at the numbers, and, and we've sort of modeled them out now in Yelich's case, there's a lot of surplus on the front end, which there already was because the 2020 and 2021 contract did not change. He was only making 12 and a half and 20 and 14 and 21. We had his field value at 51 in, in 2020 and 48 in 2021 for like a total of about 72 in surplus, you know, plus that's not even including like, if you were to trade him, would you get another draft pick then, you know, mm-hmm. you know, market value as well. And plus they had an option on him. So there was already a, a well over a hundred million in surplus there with this trade, the total amount of surplus went down, but not that much. They were, they were basically, you know, playing with house money, essentially, you know, because mm-hmm. he was going from so much surplus to that they could afford to extend him. And for baseball reasons and for marketing reasons, all sorts of reasons that they like him a lot. I don't blame them. You know, um, you know, it made a lot of sense. So what we see from a valuation standpoint is lots of surplus on the front end as he's in his 20s, as he gets into his 30s. You know, it starts to go down a little bit. You get down to like 17, 15, 9, 3. And then by the time he's like 32, 33 years old, um, it starts to go a little bit more negative. Sorry, 34 years old, it goes negative to minus 3, minus 9, minus 17. And then they probably don't exercise the option for 2029. 20, mm-hmm. so, so you end up with the, and the math tells us in this estimate, you still end up, you may not have had 100 million in surplus, but you have around 81, again, plus some marketing, that's gonna put it around in the 90s. So um, from the team standpoint, why wouldn't you do that? You basically, you're still playing with house money, still got a lot of surplus, still got a lot of value there, you know, and um, 
you know, you've got a great player for the for the next what nine years. From Yelich's standpoint, um, you know, <clears throat> he was already signed. He had no control over the years 20, 21, and 22 because the Brewers had an option on him. So those are his 28, 29, and 30 years, still peak. He would have become a free agent at age 31. What we've seen recently is that a lot of players are sort of thinking about this in those terms. Whit Merrifield signed an undervalued contract because he knew he was older. He knew he was getting into his 30s and it would be harder. So, and you know, they look at guys like, <clears throat> you know, AJ Pollock, Josh Donaldson, they're, you know, in their 30s and they're not getting a ton of money. And so mm -hmm. they're thinking to themselves, yeah, maybe I shouldn't risk that. Why not take a whole bunch of money now while I'm still young and in my prime and, and people, you know, see the best, you know, before I get to that point. And so from Yelich's standpoint, you could argue that maybe he could have hold, held out. But at age 31, you know, he may not have gotten much more than 26 million a year, you mm -hmm. know, for another seven years. So... You know, he, from his standpoint, it's probably very sensible. So I think it's a win-win all around. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, and it seems like in these kinds of deals, um, so so Yelich didn't have much leverage, as you pointed out. He was on a very affordable contract, still under control for three years. It's not like he was in his walk here and he said, "Hey, if you don't give me the money that I want, I won't be around next year." He didn't have a whole lot of leverage to that point. But then on the other hand, the Brewers didn't really have too much pressure to extend him now because they had the additional years of team control. And so I think it's, it feels like a bit of a give and take sort of a thing on both ends, as you noted. And it seems like in, in average annual value, the Brewers probably quote unquote won out. They got they got him for a below market rate, most likely, on the deal. For a year's perspective, I think Yelich got probably more than he would have if he waited and stuck around and went to the open market. He got a bonus on the years. He got a bonus on security. So it works out very well for both sides. Yeah. You cannot, you, you, how can you not like that? Everybody yeah. wins. <laughs> now, you can say, hey, if he's on the open market, he probably gets 300, 350, 400. And yeah, that's true. But he already signed a similar, like, early career, I need, I want some security type deal in Miami before he broke out as this star. So it's just a, it's a different situation than a player like Garrett Cole, who hits free agency at their peak and at a position of need and all of that. It's a, an entirely different situation. It's apples and oranges. Um I, the one quibble could be the average annual value for those free agent years being a little lower than you might expect, but one of them wasn't going to be a free agent year anyway. The option year, that's he, right. his salary increased by, I believe, eight or nine million, and that's not something you can, that's not something you can discount. Yeah, and he was still getting more than that because he's making twenty six now instead of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> um, the the only downside I could see is as you get through the years, the back end of the contract goes negative, right? So if you're the brewers, you know that going up front. You're buying, mm -hmm. you know, the upfront surplus now, and you're going to live with the negative years in the back end. But those are so far away, and who knows? Maybe he'll outperform then. Um, and the brewers can swallow that. They, you know, Ryan Braun's, you know, contract has been negative for a little bit now, and it's not that much. I mean, 26 million in the year 2028, 29, given inflation, 
you know, the value of money won't be that much. So you have to discount for that as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can see them living with that. And, and one thing we haven't mentioned, it's also a win for the fans. You know, it's great right. to see a star that they can now count on. The kids mm -hmm. can buy the jerseys for the next nine years. You love that. And, and it's a full no trade clause, no opt outs. It's, it's a commitment on both ends. Yelich is committing to Milwaukee, and he's said such in the past week or so that he just loves it there. And so, yeah. hey, even if even if that means taking a bit of a discount, you do it. It's the hometown discount. He likes being there. On Wisconsin. <laughs> um, one other thing that I want to point out that I'm not sure it made a significant difference in discussions, but it might have been in the back of the Brewers' heads, is the potential for the universal DH down the line. Yelich. Mm. Uh, isn't he's not I wouldn't say he's a bad defender he's no Mookie Betts out there and that's one of the biggest areas that declines with age and with injury and you could see it's very easy to see by age 35 36 37 he's a minus in the outfield just look at Ryan Braun across the on yeah. the other side of the outfield he doesn't really play outfield anymore because he's not great out there he's shifted to first base so down the line I, I would put, I, I wouldn't, I'm not a betting man, but I would, I'm fairly certain that over the course of this contract between now and 2029, the National League will have the DH. And so that's an option, whether it's make Yelich the full-time DH near the back end of that deal, if he's still hitting well, and maybe you just want to save his body, he's not a great defender out there, or if it's just getting him days of rest so that his career is longer, so that he's not risking his body as much. Um, I think that's that's a consideration. Like I said, it's not something that's at the forefront of the Brewers' minds when they're negotiating this deal because it could. There's a chance it never happens, but I think it's a factor. I think it's a great point. Yeah, um, but you know, again, there's so much surplus here. Even if that happens, there's going to be a positional change and kind of a negative adjustment down for that. But again, you know, I think it's still you know there's plenty of there to work with, plenty mm -hmm. of value there to work with. Yeah, which, yeah. which is the way it, we're looking at it. There's, there's a very real chance that the positional change, the value lost from him becoming a DH is offset by the value gained by him, you know, maybe not missing 40 games a season <laughs> that he would have because of some injury playing the field or because yeah. they didn't want him out there every day or whatever the case would have been. That's right. But that's also dealing in hypotheticals that are five plus years out. So <laughs> yeah. let's not linger on that for too long. That's right. All right. So... Moving on to the other big extension this week, which is very different, um, but similarly exciting for the fan base, and that's Yohan Moncada in Chicago. Yeah, so this one is a slightly different case, because unlike Yelich, who is an established star who you want to lock in into the, into the 30s years, Moncada is still kind of an up-and-coming star. You know, he's only just turned 25 this, this season. And, you know, they had full control over him for a while now. So, you know, the the <clears throat> they're catching him on the upswing, which is a trend that we're starting to see more and more. And you're even starting to see it now with minor leaguers like Evan White in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when when teams feel confident that they, um, you know, that they that they have a really good player who's going to improve, you know, the, the sense of uncertainty kind of declines. All prospects have certainty. Even young players with one or two years experience still have some of that uncertainty. Once they have that better sense that, yeah, this guy's going to establish it and be a really good player, they want to lock him in. <clears throat> now, here again, because Moncada still had some years of control, they were playing with house money. So 
you know, the and the money that they handed over was not yeah, super lot. A total of ninety million, if you count the uh, if you if you count the uh, option year back end, which I think they would probably mm-hmm. exercise it based on our projections. So so it's a really good deal for them. We still have Mankata with a lot of surplus because you're again working with house money. You're working with a lot of surplus to begin with, and you're still extending him. But you're here, you're extending him into his his prime years, and even on the back end. He's, you know, at the very last year, he's only going to be 30. So this yeah. is all prime years, right? Yeah, you're not getting into that decline like we were talking about with the Yeah, average. so it's really hard to see, you know, a, you know, from a from a field value perspective, he's going to peak at probably age 26, 27, 28, and still be good at 29 and 30. So you're not you're not losing much there, and, and mm-hmm. you know, so it's a win-win from the the White Sox point of view because why not? You know, yeah, you might as well lock him in with some cost certainty. From from Mankata's point of view, presumably he signed it because it's it's you know he's gonna you know want the cost. Of, a lot of the uh, Latin American players you start to see that um, you know become with this because of the situations they come from. That seems like a like an attractive situation to lock in the money now instead of late, wait for it later and the financial mm-hmm. security that comes with that. I, so I think Moncada that Moncada that might not be as pressing of an issue considering he did sign, I believe it was a $34 million signing bonus. Uh, uh, he, he was the last one, the last big prospect before the international signing rules changed. Um, but I, I, the way this, the contract is structured, so it'll it'll double his salary this year. He was on the league minimum. And then beyond that, just eyeballing it, it doesn't look too far off from what arbitration might have paid him. He'll get six mil in 2021, 13 mil the next year, 17 mil the next year. And so they're buying out two free agent years at 24 million and then the option for 25 million. Mm-hmm. That's at most, that's that's pretty much market rate, mm-hmm. if not well below market rate if he continues on this path that he's already headed down, former number one prospect, had a fantastic year last year. If he keeps this pace up, he's looking at 35 million in free agency. Yeah. And on that free agent contract, you're going to have to guarantee him some decline years, which they didn't even have to do here. So it's it's a no-brainer deal, I think, for both sides. Um, gives some security on both sides. You know you have him locked up if you're the White Sox. You know you have money if you're Moncada. And if you're the fans, You, like we were saying before, you get to root for an exciting young star. It's, and I have... Yeah, yeah, and I ha- I have to give the White Sox a lot of credit because they're really mm-hmm. investing in a winner, you know. And they they've locked up Luis Robert, they've locked up Eloy Jimenez, they've locked mm-hmm. up Abreu for a couple more years. They've got a solid core. They're committing to them. They're telling the yes. fan base, "Hey, we're going for it, not just this year, but for the next few years, and we're going to guarantee they'll be here for a while." Gotta love them for that. And that's that's there's some risk there. They're taking. They're get, handing out a lot of guaranteed money to players that aren't quite established yet. You got Robert Roberts, I've seen it said both ways. Yeah. Who uh, he hasn't played a major league game yet, and he's got some swing and miss. And you've got Moncada, who had a fantastic year last year, but it was his first real strong year, and he he was helped by a 406 BABIP. He's probably not going to run that again. And then Jimenez, who had his ups and downs last season, and Abreu, who's only getting older, who doesn't get on base very often, doesn't really play defense. So there's risk there, but that just I think that shows you the confidence that the White Sox have in their talent evaluators, in their internal uh, projections for these players. And 
it's it's fun. It's fun to see your team say, hey, these are our top guys, and we're committing to them. They're going to be around for a while. This is the core. And if they go, we go. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about there's more coming. You know, they yeah, got Madrigal yeah. coming. They've got Andrew Vaughn coming. You know, so they're um, – you know, and you know the pitching staff is starting to come around. They got the pitching Lito. staff is so fascinating. Yeah, Kopech, who's coming back from TJS. Uh, you know, so they've got some they've got some gunslingers there too. So um, this is going to be a very interesting team to watch, and I think they're making mm-hmm. a lot of the right moves. Yeah, definitely, it's it's going to be a fun season. I, I'd I'd wager that White Sox fans have a little more fun this season than Cubs fans. <laughs> Yeah, one is on the upswing, one is on the decline. It looks like. Now, yeah, I wouldn't put the past the Cubs from from winning the division. Right, They've right. still got a lot of talent, and they might as well maximize it while they have it. So. But even as they win the division, they're going to have these same questions over yeah. their head of the payroll, and oh, will they still trade Bryant this off? And they're going to be wondering about that for a while. I think, I think the they should be a little bit jealous of their fans <laughs> across town. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I do expect to see other extensions like this as well. It's becoming yeah. a bit of a trend, especially this time of year. It, you know, extensions, you know, of both flavors, of the Yelich flavor where you have, you know, a star that you want to extend, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of the Mankata variety where you have a young up-and-comer who, you know, you, you're confident enough in. You're not paying a whole bunch of money, but it's a win-win for both mm-hmm. sides anyway. So I, yeah, I think give me see more of those. Give me your bold prediction. One of each of those type of players that you think gets locked up. One of the superstar uh, type and the Moncada young and up-and-comer. I can't off the top of my head. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I would I would like to say in, in as an A's fan, I would like to see the A's, you know, extend Marcus Simeon, um, mm-hmm. who would be the you know sort of equivalent to a yellow maybe not a superstar but a, a, certainly a guy they'd like to keep around for a few more years closer I'm to free agency of, closer yeah. to his decline years <clears throat> but to your earlier point it's hard once they get to that point of one year away from free agency it becomes less and less likely mm-hmm. you know i think you know mookie betts has made it clear he's going to try free agency as well so i don't see the mm-hmm. dodgers extending him so to answer your question in the negative no one sent me in, no one bets, you know, once they get to that level. So I think you have to kind of look a little deeper into, you know, maybe Javier Baez. Uh, the mm-hmm. Cubs have been talking about him, but he's got some risks as well. He's got a little swing and miss. And there's um, all the other payroll concerns there. Yes. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what the Cubs do, you know, because they, they probably don't want to lose all their, their stars. Maybe they choose him as, as the one to lock up. Um, Real Muto it seems like is an obvious yeah. one to try to extend, yeah. even though he's one year away from free agency. He does seem to like playing in Philly. They do mm-hmm. seem to like him. I would say there's some risk there because catchers have kind of a shorter window. They have a tendency to decline once they hit their mm-hmm. 30s pretty drastically. But he so is he, particularly athletic for a catcher. He is. It's true. He could be one of those guys, and there's yeah. always exceptions. So, you know, he's got a, he's a complete player. So he runs well. He hits well. He obviously, you know, defends well. So, you know, mm-hmm. I can see the I can see the case for that. So I think yeah. he's probably the most likely one of, you know, the the current stars to get extended. Um, and I see, you know, I think some of the other rebuilding clubs may look to do what the White Sox are doing with some of their young stars. Um, you know, maybe the Royals with a Mondesi, maybe the uh, 
you know, the Mariners with, uh, you know, one of their, you know, sort of cut on the, you know, mm-hmm. Kellenic's probably too far away, but, but I can see them sometime soon locking in one of their top prospects, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe they the... want to start to see, see that window developing and lock in the core when they do. Yeah. Maybe the Marlins with Brian Anderson. Yeah. Uh, well, they're a would... team that hasn't been a stranger to that at all. They made the Yelich deal, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Um, in my mind, he he's sort of in between an established star and you know, like he's, he, he, you don't hear a lot about him, but he's been mm-hmm. the Marlins' best player for a year or two now. So I think yeah. maybe, you know, if they want to, if they can see a window with their other young prospects coming in a year, they're probably at least two years away. And he's what I think has four years of control. So I'm not yeah. sure if that works, but um, but it's a good call. Mm-hmm. And and not to veer too far off into A's land, but it seems like between Moncada and the Bregman deal signed last offseason, there's a pretty solid framework there for a Matt Chapman extension. Yes. Well, Boris is his agent, as we know, so that's going to be a problem. Um, But he does seem to like Oakland. Um, He's an obvious sort of candidate. He's he's right at the point. He's got four more years of control, so... You know, he's going to start to get expensive next year, which mm-hmm. is going to, you know, the wheels are starting to turn now. If you're Billy Bean in the A's, what do we do? Um, Matt Olson is in a similar position. I think he'll be a little easier to lock up. Frankly, Definitely, because, yeah. Because he doesn't have, you know, quite as much uh, leverage. But, um, but, but Chapman, if you could lock them both up, because I think that would make a lot of sense. And I think in Chapman's case, you can make the same case as, as the Yelich case in a little, slightly different way, but he, he's going to, I think, be, I have to kind of check the numbers, but I think he's going to be 30 when he mm-hmm. hits free agency. He's a bit on the older side. A bit slightly on the older side, right? Um, so you've got to factor that in, you know, and, and there may be some decline years there. And, and you know, given market uh, trends, he may not make superstar money when he hits free agency. So you might have a win-win there if you can buy out a couple of those years in advance. You know, while you still have some leverage, if you're the A's, you're not the clock is not ticking quite so strongly yet that mm-hmm. now may be a good time to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. So so I can see a case there. It's a good call. Yeah. So I think on that note, we'll wrap it up there. Um, is there anything else you wanted to hit on? No, that's great. It's been a very uh, interesting week and uh, always a good discussion. Yes, and definitely keep your eyes open for any uh, future extension talks. We could have could have mentioned Aaron Bummer, who signed a deal, I believe, week, week and a half ago. Uh, that's a little on the lower end, though, and reliever. But a very talented young pitcher, yes, so I, yes. I like that one as well. Yeah, another yet another young White Sox player that they're locking up long term. Mm-hmm. So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we've had a good time here this week. Um, if you have any questions or comments or anything for us, send us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or shoot us a tweet at baseballvalues on Twitter. My Twitter is at jive underscore oak. John's is at bitserdigital. And yeah, I hope you all have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.